Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. My name's Catherine Cunningham and I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now. And so what I'm trying to do in this podcast series is tap into things that I've learned, things that I've come to understand over the years to help people better manage their careers and be happier at work. So I want to talk first about MBTI. I love it. It's my favorite work. And if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who's not happy at work and they only have one hour to work with me, I always recommend MBTI because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences rather than learned behavior or learned skills, you can use that information to decide what sort of work to do. So, for example, when I was at the bank, my spreadsheets were basically full of errors because I don't have natural attention to detail. Now, since then, I've learned attention to detail. Anybody who works with me on resumes gets pretty amazed at everything I spot. So, yes, I can have attention to detail, but do I want to be in a job all day where I have to absolutely focus on the task at hand and notice every slight little issue? I can tell you no. So where does it come from? I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. I'm going to look at the four separate letters, M-B-T-I, one at a time, and that will help you understand it. And I'm going to start at the back. So the I stands for indicator. MBTI is not a test. So if you go online and do one of those free versions, it's pretty well a waste of time. It is only an indicator. As an accredited practitioner, I'm bound by the ethics to only ever deliver the assessment with the debrief. Many times people think when they do the assessment that they're, for example, an ENTP, and it's only when you properly explore hardwired preferences in the debrief that they may, for example, come to understand they're not an extrovert, that was learned behaviour, they're actually fundamentally an introvert. So it's an indicator, not a test. The next letter I want to look at is the T. The T stands for type. And there's two issues to look at here. The first one is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities. And that is both the strength and weakness of MBTI. The strength is from a career perspective. When people get their profile, it's like this aha light bulb moment. Often the comment is, I cannot believe this is so right. The level of detail, however, means that they forget their profile. So if I rang somebody up a year later and said, look, what's your profile? They'll probably get it wrong. For our career purposes, that doesn't matter. All we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and use that information to make career decisions. And the other aspect of type is it's not tray or trait theory. So many instruments will measure you on a continuum. They'll say you're more like this than a particular cohort or less like this. As soon as you do Myers-Briggs, you will notice that it essentially forces you into one camp or the other. Now, Myers-Briggs is based on Carl Jung's work, and apparently Carl Jung said, of course, none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, for example, but you will notice it essentially wants you to come down on one side versus the other. And the final letters are MB, and they stand for Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter combination. Catherine Briggs started in the 1920s, building on Carl Jung's work. He knew of her work. She was the first person who wanted to have a mainstream application of his work. 
So it was really the first time in the world that anybody tried to use personality preferences to help people make career decisions. Because before that, fundamentally, you did what your father did, because of course, back then it was mainly men working. You did what your father did, or your career choices were extremely class driven. Okay, let's move on to the label issue. Some people don't like MBTI because they think it labels them. Yes, it obviously does. A useful analogy, however, might be if you think about your favourite room in the house. So my favourite room in the house is my bedroom. I do a lot of work on my bed. It looks out on a garden. I love the connection with the garden. My least favourite room in the house is the laundry. If you look at MBTI, the bedroom is really where you are most comfortable, where you are most in the flow, in the zone. MBTI does not mean you don't change your behaviour. So yes, of course, I go into the laundry. I don't like the laundry. I find it quite soul-destroying, but I go into the laundry. And probably from a work point of view, the example would be me working on resumes and making sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't really want to do that all day, but I quite happily and skillfully go into that laundry. At a minimum, somebody talked to me about this a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. At a minimum, you could argue that those 16 types are just a description of behavior preferences and that that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the uh, American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you've ever looked at that, they will have a series of behaviors that they put underneath a label. The label might be borderline personality disorder, and underneath they'll have a series of behaviors. So you could argue at a minimum MBTI is no different than that. It's a useful catch-all of behaviours that are put under a label. And finally, if you're really sceptical, there's a guy called Dr. Dario Nardi, wonderful guy. I went to one of his conferences in Brisbane a few years ago. And since 2006, he's focused on hands-on brain research. He uses real-time EEG technology to establish the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone or in the flow doing an activity that matches with their MBTI preferences. If you just Google him, he has lots of information, interesting content and videos. And at the moment, he's producing content for a new book and he's slowly releasing it on LinkedIn. I had a look at his work on ENTP, which is my profile, and I found it even more fascinating. So perhaps explore that as well. Let's get started. Today we're going to look at one of my favourite profiles, ENFJ. They probably are the most charming of the 16 MBTI types and they're often called the public relations specialists. ENFJs are idealistic organisers who build consensus among people with diverse interests and motives. They often act as catalysts, including everyone and drawing out the best in others. But before we go any further, let's look at those four letters, E-N-F-J. Extroverted indicates a person who is energised by time spent with others. N stands for intuitive. And these are people who tend to have a big picture aspect on life rather than focusing on details and facts. Feeling Feeling people are those who make decisions based on feelings and values rather than analysis and reason. 
And finally, J is for judging, and these are people who prefer to be planned and organised. At their core, ENFJs look for and find the best in others, and they prize harmony and cooperation. They like their lives to be organised, and they will work to bring closure to ambiguous relationships or situations. They have a strong need for authentic, intimate relationships. If we look at statistics, they're one of the less common types. 3% of the general population, 3% of women and 2% of men. They're most likely of all types to cope with stress by exercising. Their personal values include friendships, education and learning, creativity and community service. And they're most likely of all types to believe in a higher spiritual power. They're commonly found in careers in religion, teaching and the arts. ENFJs are likely to be imaginative and creative, optimistic and forward-thinking, warm, compassionate and supportive, energetic and driven, and loyal and trustworthy. What's career satisfaction to an ENFJ? I want to quote from a book called Do What You Are by Tiger and Barron. I love this book. And Career satisfaction to an ENFJ means doing work that lets them develop creative solutions to problems on projects they believe in and where they can see the positive results of their efforts for others. It needs to be done in an environment where expectations are clear, contributions are appreciated, and personal professional growth and development are encouraged. This work needs to be done in an active and challenging environment where they are able to juggle several projects at once. The work needs to let them use their organisational and decision-making skills and have control and responsibility for their own projects. And it needs to give them a variety of activities, but allows them to work in a relatively orderly and well-planned manner. Now, just for a bit of fun, there's a group of MBTI aficionados on Quora, and every time I duck into that site, I'm amazed at how knowledgeable they are. So they talk about what makes each type attractive to others. When it comes to ENFJs, they're attractive to others because of their approachability, their kindness and compassion, their strong belief in a vision of a better world for all, their ability to lead others towards a more prosperous and equitable future, their sincere and genuine interest in learning about who you are as a person, their ability to relate to just about anyone, their devotion to mentoring others in their own emotional growth, and their sense of emotional attentiveness. As I said earlier, they really are one of the most charming of the 16 types. If we look at ENFJs in the workplace, the main theme of the ENFJ is mentoring, leading people to achieve their potential and become more of who they are. They lead using their empathy, exceptional communication skills, their enthusiasm and warmth to gain cooperation towards meeting the ideals they hold for the organisation. They are the catalysts who tremendously enjoy drawing out the best in others. When it comes to their management style, the management style is democratic and participative and it's very people-oriented. They manage in a very personal way, focusing on the individuals in the organisation. In other words, even though they accept and know that organisations are necessary vehicles to accomplish goals and objectives, in their minds and hearts, it's the people who make things happen. 
The commitment of ENFJs is to the progress and growth of those around them. Sometimes this commitment takes precedence over the development of systems and procedures. More than the typically task-oriented manager, they are accurately tuned into the organisational climate. In addition to improving technologies and efficiencies, the reason things work, according to an ENFJ, can be attributed to camaraderie, mutual support, and a commitment to overall team effort. Therefore, they naturally become concerned with the personal problems of their co-workers, subordinates and superiors. Whenever possible, they like to lend a helping hand in improving and enhancing the overall work experience. They are masterful at showing appreciation, both verbal and non-verbal, giving frequent and abundant praise. They seem to know just what to say and do to make the other person feel appreciated. When it comes to their attitude in the workplace, the basic attitude of ENFJs is one of credulism enthusiasm and idealism. They tend to see the good and the human potential in everyone and everything. They're not troubled by the paradoxical and they relentlessly pursue their high ideals. Often these ideals are non-economic. Instead, they tend to be humanitarian and people-focused. Typically, ENFJs have a global attitude towards most situations and they prefer to deal with abstractions. When it comes to skills, as I mentioned earlier, they're very skilled at mentoring and anything having to do with people, handling them, deploying them, training them, motivating them, recruiting them, counselling them. ENFJs are willing to get involved in relationships and they seem to have a built-in sixth sense for how to optimise a conversation or interaction with just about everyone they care about. ENFJs are global and metaphoric in their speech. They are very good oral communicators with their sensitivity to nuances and unspoken aspects of communications. They're also very skillful listeners with an unusual capacity to understand others' viewpoints and realities. Warmth, graciousness and charm are important aspects of the people communication skills of ENFJs. They are particularly gifted at integration. When it comes to their driving force, The ENFJ has a high need for developing empathetic relationships. These must be deep and meaningful to satisfy the intense hunger the ENFJ feels for rapport. When it comes to their energy direction, given these skills, values and attitudes, ENFJs direct their energy towards bringing forth the potential in everyone they contact. They're in a never-ending search for their true identity and facilitate the searches of others. In that pursuit, they seem to possess an endless desire to accomplish miracles. When it comes to authority, ENFJs want the person in charge to be ethical and good. For them, authority is not granted by position and formal power, although their first inclination is to respect established hierarchies, procedures and formalities. It's important for them to have respect for their leader, and if they do, they tend to seek approval from the person in charge. Of all the NFs, ENFJs are most likely to naturally assume leadership of a group. No surprises here when it comes to conflict resolution, ENFJs prefer harmonious situations and tend to ignore conflicts as long as they possibly can. They're not usually put off by intense feelings as long as these are not overly critical. As a matter of fact, they typically encourage the free expression of feelings 
so that the group can move forward towards consensus. When it comes to their blind spots and pitfalls, ENFJs may focus so much on the human element in the situation that they may get off task too much. They can be so easily involved in meeting the needs of others that they may lose sight of their own needs and suffer from loss of identity and eventual burnout. And being so responsive to others can lead to other people's priorities using up their time. And if we have a final summary of their work-related strengths, they naturally see the potential for growth in others and devote energy to help others achieve it. They're curious about new ideas and stimulated by possibilities for contributing to the good of humanity. They see meanings and connections and can be very insightful about others. They work to promote harmony and morale while deflecting potential conflicts. And they're especially good in persuading and motivating others to get moving in the same direction. This section on ENFJs in the workplace is from a book called Working Together from Isaacson and Behrens. It's a great book. And finally, for a bit of fun, again from that Quora group, how are you going to know if an ENFJ likes you? If they like you, they'll be very engaged and highly interested. Expect cheerful smiles, responsive laughter, and energetic enthusiasm. They'll ask you soul-piercing questions to get to know your deepest desires and life story. You may feel yourself opening up details about yourself that you've never told anyone before. If they don't like you, they may try to set you up with a friend while telling you they're really good at matchmaking. Where to from here? I think it would be no surprises for you to hear me say that I think it's really important for you to understand your profile and that you set up a session with an accredited MBTI practitioner. There's no point doing one of those online assessments. It's the assessment and then the debrief that together gives you your better understanding of your preferences. I love the MBTI Step 2 Interpretive Report because not only will it show you your hardwired preferences, but it would also highlight areas where you happen to behave differently to your preferences, and I find that very useful. Obviously, people who come to see me mainly use MBTI for career purposes. Generally, either they want to identify a new career path that will link with their preferences, or because they're not happy at work and they want to be happier at work. I think it has a further reach. I use it very much in my personal life, and my poor husband gets used as an example When I first met him, Phil's an ISTJ, and he's therefore very methodical in the way he does the grocery shopping. And being an ENTP, I'm not methodical at all. And I was horrified at the way he shopped. But understanding his profile made me realize, of course, that's how an ISTJ would shop. And so I don't judge him for shopping that way. I make sure I don't go shopping with him. I meet him afterwards for a coffee. But I find it has helped me understand myself but also to understand and respect others. I think that's wonderful. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in more information, you'll find show notes on the website that might be of interest to you. And if you're interested in general career matters, every month I do a mail out. It might be a blog, an infographic, a short one-minute or two-minute video, or of course a podcast. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website or just email us at admin at careerconsult.com.au. And as always, I'm going to finish with the hashtag, my company hashtag. 
When I first started social media some years ago, everything was about hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. And I just happened to think up what I think is a wonderful hashtag, which really is the basis for all of my work in this career space. And the hashtag is hashtag why not be happy at work? 